I'm Laura Reimer, and we've been attending First Christian Church for about 28 years. I developed a discipline of getting up early in the morning. I had young children, and I just prayed to God and asked Him to wake me up a little bit earlier before they got up so that I could have that quiet time. And He answered that prayer, and I would um, sit at the table with my notebooks and any books I was reading, the Bible. Um, I journaled a lot, and there were times that I had very dry seasons. I had times when I felt like I was just going through the motions, but it's like I figured if I was going through the motions of eating, I didn't really have an appetite, but I would continue eating because I wasn't feeling well or whatever. Even if I don't enjoy a meal, I continue to eat and I continue to walk and exercise to keep my body healthy. Eventually, that pays off, and I would come out of that dry season and um, just really feel God's presence. And so that's why I think it's a discipline because you just keep showing up day after day. He's always faithful, and but sometimes there are dry seasons and just you don't feel His presence, but you keep going through them. And um, as you do those things, either if it's the physical things you do for your body, or the spiritual things you do to discipline yourself, to show up and put yourself in God's presence, over time, there are changes that are very positive and that happen. Welcome. Welcome to those of you here in the West, everybody East Auditorium, everyone online. Welcome. How's everybody doing today? You doing well? Good. It's a beautiful day out. Great week. I, I love being at church, love being with the people of God, fills my heart, grows my faith. Um, I'm Thomas. I'm the young adult pastor here at First Christian Church, which means I'm involved in young adult ministry, but also college ministry. It's a very busy time of year, but a fun time of year. Uh, Millican students are coming back. We're excited about that. Been on campus more, hanging out with them. Been over at Richland. We're starting some Bible studies with Inner, uh, Inner, Inner Varsity uh, Christian Fellowship. Awesome stuff happening at Richland as well. Exciting time of year, but again, busy time of year. So before all this craziness started and before the semester got kicked off, I decided to go on vacation with my family and try to rest a little bit. And uh, we went to Northern Kentucky to the Ark Encounter. If you're familiar, check this out. There is a full-size replica of Noah's Ark in Northern Kentucky built to the dimensions found in the Bible. It's wild, man. Like, they have a whole museum inside this boat. And around back, there's a zoo. So we're like, hey, this sounds like a fun family trip. Got some Bible lessons and stuff. Let's get on the road and travel to Kentucky. So we start driving to Kentucky, and I get sick on the car ride with my whole family. Got, you know, mom, dad, nieces, nephews, brothers, sister-in-law. And uh, I get sick. And not car sick. I just get old, good old-fashioned chills and aches. and like, oh, no, I got COVID. But it wasn't COVID, thank goodness. So the trip could continue, but I was just miserable. So I was sick the whole time. Uh, and I was trying to, like, pace myself. Even on the car ride, I was a bit of a diva. I said, hey, can we move the seats around so I can, like, lay down in the back? I just want to sleep as much as possible. But I didn't want to miss out on this family vacation. I didn't want to miss out on going to the ark and going to the zoo and hanging out, especially with my nieces and nephew, because... I wanted to see the joy on their faces whenever we went into the ark and saw all these exhibits. I wanted to see the joy on their faces whenever we would um, go pet the animals or go to the zoo. 
I had a petting zoo there as well. It's super cool. So I don't want to miss out, and I'm trying to rest on the way there, and vacation was not off to a good start. Um, so what I did was I just tried to be conserve all my energy. Actually, true story, I got the first inhaler that I've had in 15 years after this trip. So apparently I was sicker than I realized. They're like, you need steroids and an inhaler. I'm like, oh, great. But anyway, so we start walking around the museum, and I'm exhausted. So every time, you know when in museums they have those benches? Every exhibit, if you're tired, you can just go sit on a bench and relax. I did that at every single bench. <laughs> and I should not have been walking around, but I didn't want to miss out. So I'd sit on the bench, and oftentimes, I was the only non-grandparent sitting on these benches. <laughs> like, I'm over here hyperventilating, and like, grandma's waiting for her family, and I'm like, waiting for my family, but anyway. And uh, I was inspired to never get sick again. Like, you know how that is? Like, you're like, I'm gonna be a healthy person now. I decided from this day forth, I will make sleeping a priority. I will eat organic and good foods that are clean. I will work out every day, and I failed miserably with that. It's only been three weeks since we got back, but I, I was committed in that time to do better so that I would feel better. And it got me reminiscing to the healthiest year of my life, which was about three or four years ago. Um, I started eating all clean food, did Whole30 several times, if you're familiar with that. Um, I was running often, got new running shoes, wore them out, and I also went to CrossFit a few times a week, and that was miserable, but I did it for a whole year, and uh, I hated it, but, you know, delayed gratification pays off, because I was miserable when I went to CrossFit in the morning, but as I started to feel better, like, my life improved, and actually, honestly, when I started to, like, and my, my, my physical look started to improve from that discipline. That felt good because I gained confidence. It was an all-around win. The struggle was worth it because it improved my overall health. I was in great shape, and I was feeling better and better, gaining confidence. See, my discipline had become a habit. My habit had become a lifestyle, and my lifestyle had improved. The struggle was worth it. And... Uh, you know, delayed gratification is important because delayed gratification turns us into the kind of people that we want to be. We go from enduring the struggle of the discipline to enjoying its benefits. And our spiritual life is exactly the same. Just as we work out our physical muscles at the gym, we talk about through this series having a faith muscle. And when we work out that spiritual faith muscle and we take in the right spiritual food like scripture, we grow and we benefit and our faith grows. So sometimes, this is a common truth, but we, we have to remember that whenever we endure the discipline, we enjoy its benefits. Like, it's common sense, yes, but it's true in our spiritual lives as well. We have to endure the discipline to enjoy its benefits. It's exactly what Laura was just talking about in her video. She said, there were dry seasons of my life where I struggled in my faith, but I committed to my spiritual disciplines, I committed to my morning time with God. When I got through it, my faith grew and I benefited. So, being disciplined in our faith grows our faith. In order to enjoy all that Jesus has for us, we have to be disciplined and invest our efforts into following Jesus's example. Pastor Brian talked about two weeks ago that following Jesus is not the same as believing in Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, not believe in me, because believe in me is this cognitive thing. Cognitive in that it's just like you can believe things about Jesus and maybe even think that's your religion, but it doesn't, it's not the same as following Jesus. 
When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying, hey, I welcome you into full obedience to agree with me with your whole person. So it's safer and easier and less demanding to just believe Jesus with our minds, but it changes nothing in our lives. Just believing in Jesus is like having that spiritual muscle that you do not exercise, so it creates a frail and fragile faith. Belief without active faith in Jesus is actually what leads many people to walking away from their faith. So today, we're gonna learn some proven ways to keep, protect, and grow our faith. Uh, We are currently in our series called Fuel, Five Factors That Fill Your Faith. Two weeks ago, Pastor Brian taught us about about practical teaching. Um, You need practical teaching in your life that's applicable to your life so you can grow in your faith. Last week, Pastor Jonathan talked about personal ministry. You have to be involved in personal ministry to grow your faith. And this week, we're gonna talk about private spiritual disciplines that are proven to grow our faith when we're going to talk about our daily habits that over time build and build that faith muscle and change us. When people talk about growing in their faith, kind of like Laura just did in the video, they often include the following disciplines. There are many more than these disciplines. We're only gonna talk about three today, but we're gonna focus on them because they're important. For people who are mature in their faith, these are at the top of their list, okay? So they are committing to daily devotions, trusting God with resources, and prioritizing attending church. These, for mature Christians, often started as a choice, but over time, they grew and grew, and it became a discipline that they enjoyed. However, these only make sense in a relationship with Jesus. I don't know if you've ever done what I've done where you've tried to be religious and try to do things on your own strength, That's exhausting and frankly unappealing and it is not the gospel message. When we do these things, we're doing them in relationship with Jesus who has perfected our faith for us and we walk in his goodness and in his strength because it's just not appealing otherwise. And every relationship takes effort. We know this. And Jesus is no different. We have to put effort into our relationship with Jesus. Without a personal relationship with Jesus, these disciplines just become burdensome. They become a chore. They become a religious habit because we're doing it on our own strength rather than trusting God. So let's take some time to look at some proven ways to improve our faith. The first discipline that many Christians point to as a catalyst for growing in faith is committing to daily devotions with Jesus by reading the Bible and praying. My understanding of this grew exponentially whenever my buddy in college, Mark, encouraged me to read my Bible a lot more. I have a picture of us here. He visited Decatur recently and we're hanging out. Mark and I loved to spur each other on in our faith And uh, Mark is from the East Coast, so actually I have a picture of him somewhere here. I'd love love for you to meet Mark, there he is. Uh, (laughs) And uh, he's from the East Coast, from near Boston. Uh, He's a uh, really fun guy, had a good time with him, very musical, he's wicked smart, like super intelligent, I'm sorry. (laughs) That was my attempt at a Bostonian accent, I will. (laughs) 
That was rough. Anyway, I know you all love throwback pictures so much, so check this out. This is 10 years ago. Mark and I are in college. We're doing a camp team together. This skinny goober right here holding a giant tree branch is me, and this is Mark on the far right and the cool guy, cool guy with the ball cap. And uh, I'm holding the branch because we're doing this photo thing and I'm pretending to be Moses. You get it, church camp, pretending to be Moses, whatever. I won't explain. But... Fun times. I used to go out to the East Coast every summer. We'd lead worship at these camps. It was a blast. We learned from each other. We spurred each other on our faith. And about my junior year, Mark got super into learning about the Jewish context of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. And I want to share with you what he passed on to me. He discovered a simple but powerful habit for growing in faith. But before I share what he taught with me, I uh, gotta catch you up on some Jewish religious terms just in case you're not familiar with them, okay? So the first one is a rabbi. A rabbi is a Jewish teacher, and disciples are their followers. Now, they're more than just pupils. It's more than just learning. This rabbi is like a life coach, a spiritual advisor, a pastor to these young followers of them, okay? So the disciples live with their rabbi. Like, it'd be like if you decided, oh, I like learning from Thomas, and you came and moved into my house. Like, it really is. They lived together. And they wanted to know how the rabbi did everything. They wanted to follow their example in every way. They wanted to see how the rabbi lived out every aspect of their life. They wanted to know how their rabbi woke up in the morning and how they prayed. They wanted to know how their rabbi ate and how he prayed over his food. They wanted to see how the rabbi interacted with strangers. Jews and non-Jews alike. They wanted to see how their rabbi treated their family. They even wanted to know how their rabbi went to the bathroom. Straight up. Some rabbis, some Jewish rabbis have special prayers that they do after, after going. And so, that might be too much information, I'm sorry. But it's, it's what they, they have these prayers that they would do after going and their disciples would be close enough by that they would learn to recite the same prayers for their bathroom time. They lived life closely together. And that may be too much information, but truly, it's the way it was. But how do we follow Jesus like this today? We can't follow Jesus around town the same way the disciples did. He ascended into heaven. He is resurrected and reigning reigning in the throne room. So how are we supposed to follow him the same way today? How are we supposed to learn our rabbi's teachings? So Mark, my friend, suggested I do the following and it changed my spiritual life. He said to read the Gospels repeatedly. Sounds basic, but hear me out. He said to read the Gospels repeatedly. Each week, read a Gospel. You read the Gospels through every month. Each week, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John, and repeat. Because when we do this, we start to love what Jesus loves. We start to hate what our rabbi hates and we start to have every aspect of our lives look like Jesus. When an issue comes up that's in scripture, we know how to respond. When an issue that isn't in scripture comes up, we know how to respond because we walk so closely with Jesus and we learn his teachings. His teachings start to form every single aspect of our lives. Jesus was God in the flesh. He is the image of the invisible God. So if we wanna know what it means to be close with God, to walk with God, we need to look at the earthly example of Jesus and follow him. And one of the things that Jesus communicates to us in his teachings is showing us how to communicate with God. Let's look at Matthew 6, 6 together. 
But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Jesus commands us to set aside personal time with him where we have our, give him our undivided attention. And Jesus practiced what he preached. Check out Luke 5, starting in verse 15. Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. Jesus was busy. He was in high demand. But in spite of how important his work was, Jesus made time alone with God a priority. And we should do the same, being alone with God a priority. And Jesus really did have important work to do, right? He had three years to take a bunch of misfits, take his disciples, show them how to lead the church. Jesus then had to save the world and get those men ready to lead his church. He had important work, but he kept making time with God a priority. If Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, had to get away to the lonely place to be with God, we should do the same. We also see that Jesus would often carve out the first minutes of his day to spend time with God and prepare for the day. In Mark 1, we see verse 35, Jesus very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. We should do the same. So, the, perf the first private discipline that fuels our faith is daily devotions through the Bible and prayer. The second spiritual discipline that many point to as growing their faith is committing to percentage giving. Now, stay with me. I know that talking about church and money is a touchy subject, but putting our money where our faith is is incredibly important. By giving a percentage of our income to the church, we are putting our faith in God rather than our wallets. We should plan ahead to give a percentage of our income to the church and to kingdom work around the world. And hear this, hear this, this is so important. This giving isn't even primarily about money. It's about our priorities. It's about our confidence in God. It's about our faith in God. And this is a generous church. Man, many of you give so faithfully and so generously, thank you. Because of your giving, we are able to do effective work here in our city and around the world. Thank you for your generosity. We actually have spiritual leaders in our church who team up with lay leaders. That means people who don't work at the church. So we have spiritual leaders who team up with lay leaders who have backgrounds in finance and money and they teach us and show us and we work together and communicate together, being accountable to one another, making sure that we use our resources well for the kingdom. We take it very seriously. And we are blessed, but it's between you and God if you wanna join in on that. But committing to our faith is something that matures us. By committing to giving, it's something that matures our faith. So there are two types of giving we should talk about before we go on here. The first one is the tithe. The tithe is giving 10% of your income to the local church for the local ministries. Offering is anything that you give beyond that for ministry. But both of these, tithing and offering, should be done in faith. 
Again, it's not about the money. That might be hard to understand, but it really isn't. It's about putting our faith in God rather than your confidence in your financial security. So let's see what Jesus has to say about all this. Matthew 6, verse 31. So don't worry about these things. What will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? That might be hard for us to understand. Most of us are coming for situations where we know where our next meal's coming from. We have clothes on our back. Maybe we could reframe this a little bit to say, don't worry about retirement. Don't worry about paying for your college tuition. Don't worry about finding that next job. Or even more currently, don't worry about inflation. Don't worry about the 20% drop in 401ks. Don't worry about grocery prices and gas prices. And this is why, because, verse 32, Jesus says, these things dominate the thoughts of who? Unbelievers. This is a faith issue. But your heavenly father, your heavenly father, my heavenly father, my dad who takes care of me, he's a good father, already knows your needs. Jesus knows we need money for all these things. But do we really trust him? He is inviting us to put our money where our faith is. And regarding our resources, Jesus goes on to say in verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. It's a tremendous promise from God, but he is faithful. Take note of this. Giving exercises our faith because it involves letting go of what we are most inclined to put our confidence in rather than God. It's good, hear that again. Giving exercises our faith because it involves letting go of what we are most inclined to put our confidence in rather than God. Giving in faith is the most tangible way of shifting our dependence from our wallets to our God. It's a faith thing, it's not a money thing. And Jesus says you can't have two masters. Either Jesus can be your master or money can be your master. So you gotta ask yourself, do I trust my God or do I trust my bank account? Um, pastor Stanley, great pastor down in Atlanta, Georgia, said the following, I'd love to share it with you. Jesus knows the number one contender for our loyalty is not the devil, but rather our financial security. That's good, y'all. Let's, let's read that again. Jesus knows our culture. He knows our context. He knows what it means to follow him in our day and age, in our place. Jesus knows the number one contender for our loyalty is not the devil, but rather our financial security. This is difficult to start, and especially if you're not in the habit, but it's a faith thing. But as you wrestle with this, ask yourself why. Why do I struggle to put my money where my faith is? Eventually, you realize it's not about the money. It's about our confidence in God and our surrender to God. And for some of us, there's this temptation to avoid planned percentage giving by simply giving a lump sum, like writing a check and checking out. Like you write a lump sum and take care of the cause so we don't have to think about it anymore. Right, I, I've struggled with this, of like, I'll just write a check, I'll check out and not think about it anymore, it's done. Now sometimes, this is how God wants us to give. He does, sometimes God blesses us with things so we can be the person who writes the check or does the wire transfer that solves the problem. That's good, 
but it's not the only way we should give. We should also be giving with percentage committed giving because it grows our faith. While writing this sermon, an InterVarsity college campus missionary reached out to me and they asked me to support them through monthly percentage giving. And usually I suggest, hey, let me write you a check so I can check out. But they explained to me that they were looking for a partnership. They were wanting to walk in faith together. Rather than me just throwing money at them, they wanted to walk together in reaching more young people. Their request made sense. It made sense for them to ask me. I mean, I'm already in partnership with InterVarsity. We talked about it at the beginning of the message. We team up with Millican University and InterVarsity. I help their students lead Bible studies on Richland's campus. We're already teamed up for the kingdom. So why would I not put my money where my faith is? Friends, brothers and sisters, this is for those of you in the room who said yes to Jesus. Why do we not always put our money where our faith is? So while writing this message, I committed to supporting an intervarsity missionary to monthly percentage giving. I prayed about an amount, I set up an automated account so this missionary and I could be supported, excuse me, so this missionary could be supported and so I could join them in reaching more young people. I love giving to the kingdom of God, I truly do. Um, I like taking part in what God is doing. It's, it's a joy for me. And I've learned that many mature Christians that I look up to and respect feel the exact same way. Okay, so we've talked about a few ways that we fuel our faith. We, we do it through Bible reading and prayer, daily devotions, percentage giving, tithe and offering. And lastly, we're gonna talk about personal worship. Many Christians mature in their faith when they take time to worship God alone in the quiet place. They don't wait for the weekend to worship. And there's musical and non-musical ways to do this daily. Lately, God has been stirring in my heart this desire to write more worship songs. So my quiet time with God is often looking, it's me sitting down with um, my guitar or at a piano take a few chords, I read some scripture, I ponder ideas about God, and then I use the creativity that God's given me to write worship songs about those experiences and those thoughts. And uh, it's such a great way for me to personally worship God and to create. Um, but you might be thinking, well, I'm not musical, so how can I do that? Well, I'd say you don't have to be musical to love music, right? You can be tone deaf and make a joyful noise, amen? <laughs> amen. But get a time alone, turn on that stereo, turn on some good worship music, and truly worship God on your own. Be active in it. It's not something on in the background. You take time and you sing a song to God and you set your heart on him. People who grow in their faith do that. But you know, worship's not confined to music. Worship can be any moment that gives God credit. While on vacation, after going to the ark, my family decided that we're gonna go to the Botanical Gardens at the Creation Museum. It's also in Northern Kentucky. Check this out. That's gorgeous. Th these, these gardens were immaculate, incredible, full of color. God made those plants. We might have planted some seeds, but God made those plants. And if our response is, wow, God, you made that, you're amazing, that is a moment of worship. 
but you don't have to travel all the way to northern Kentucky to experience God's creation. You can go right outside and see God's beautiful creation all around us. Pastor Jonathan told me recently, he was sitting on Lake Decatur and he saw a pelican gliding over the water. I was like, a pelican, really? We have pelicans? It wasn't out a crane? He was like, no man, it was a pelican. And I've confirmed with other people there are pelicans in Decatur. But anyway, so the pelican, he said they would lock their wings and just glide forever. They're so aerodynamic and they would just keep going without flapping their wings, go forever. And he's like, isn't God amazing, Thomas? He designed this perfect thing that can just fly, and he's like, God's amazing. That was a moment of worship for Pastor Jonathan. When I was at the Ark Museum with my nieces and my nephew, the zookeepers would bring out all of these cute and maybe not so cute animals for us to pet and to look at. So check this out. We got to pet kangaroos. That was awesome. That was super fun. Um, we also got to be with less cute animals. That's my cute niece, but that is a very uncute snake. And she got to wear it like a necklace. So who would be willing to put a, a boa around their neck as a necklace for fun? Uh, there's like three people. Oh, come on, are you not braver than a three-year-old? I, I wasn't, so I didn't. I shouldn't be raising my hand. I was like, no thanks, y'all. Mm. What was really cool is that all the zookeepers taught the same lesson to the kids over and over again. They would say, look at what a beautiful creature God has made. Isn't he amazing? That was a moment of worship. Or they would say, see how these animals are perfectly adapted to their surroundings and their habitat? Isn't God amazing? That was a moment of worship. These were little moments of worship because these zookeepers were giving God credit for his creation. We should do the same. We should take moments where we worship God by giving him credit for his amazing creation. While we can have moments outside of the church building where we worship God with music and in creation, there's something special that happens when we gather for corporate worship. There's something special that happens personally when we gather corporately. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. The group dynamic makes a personal impact. You've experienced this when you see people raising their hands in worship, when you see people move to tears because they're thankful for Jesus, because something happens in us personally when we gather corporately. When we make the personal decision to be in corporate worship, as you are doing right now, it does something different for our faith, something special. I'm not sure how it all works, it's a mystery, how Jesus gathers with us, but when we gather together, it's different. God's presence is unique and special at those times. And when we gather, we're forced to give up some of, of our uh, autonomy. We're forced to give up some individualism. We have to go from saying, okay, what's good for me, to being, what is the best thing that we should do together? It goes from what's good for me to what should we do together. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul says to the local church, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. There's an aspect of Christianity that you and I, we cannot experience alone. We are part of a community, but we must choose to participate in that community. My heart is even further stirred when I see people from different backgrounds, generations, races, 
nationalities, tongues, and languages. This, mm, it truly does my heart good when I see that because I'm reminded that God is unifying us. It points us forward to the day in Revelation 7 where it says, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes. From all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, means we're made pure. With palm branches in our hands, means we're celebrating the coming of our King. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Mm. Church, that really, that, that's one of my favorite parts of the scripture, those couple of verses. That excites my heart. Our corporate worship points forward to the day where that is made, in the, made a reality in eternity. And that image found in scripture and what we do here together have a deep impact on our personal faith. God is up to something much bigger than you, but it fully includes you. And I pray that you're open to saying yes to Jesus. We talked about several personal spiritual disciplines today. They were daily devotions through Bible and prayer, percentage giving with tithe and offering, and personal worship. Our personal worship, meaning our worship alone, but also our personal growth in worship as we gather corporately. And it'd be so easy to look at this list and do nothing with the information. So we have, I have some challenges for you, for us to step into greater faith maturity. It's time to give God your firsts and your bests. Give him the best or first minutes of your day, percentage of your check, and day of your week. For the first minutes of your day, get alone with God and give your undivided attention. If you're like, I'm not a morning person, I can't really do it, okay, fine, then give God the best part of your day. Not the leftover part, the best part. And each week, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and repeat, or at least read some part of scripture and learn your rabbi's teachings so you can be a disciple of him and follow him, see the world the way he sees the world. Commit to giving a percentage of your income to the kingdom. Don't fall into the temptation of just writing a check and checking out. Because God wants to grow our faith as we partner in ministries and kingdom work together. Worship. Have moments of personal worship every single day. Sing a song to God, admire his creation, give him credit. But don't stop there. Do what you're doing today. Commit to being in church with other believers each week and give God your first day for corporate worship. Or if you come to church on Saturday usually, give God that Saturday. Or maybe you're online, you're like, listen, my work schedule right now, I would love to commit that time, but okay, I get that. Make sure you find a day where you devote it to the Lord and dwell with him. Make it a priority, grow in your faith. And be sure to join people in worship because each time we do that, we look forward to the day where every tribe, tongue, and nation, and person who says yes to Jesus will say, praise the Lamb, we'll be together. 
There's so many ways to grow in our faith, but these three, they're really fantastic ways to start. A lot of mature Christians who we look up to and respect, they started here and they continue to do it. As you commit to these, you will work out your faith muscle. It will grow, you will grow, your relationship with Jesus will grow. And I pray that you're able to discover what Jesus said in John 10, 10, when he said, I have come that they, that's us, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, amen. Let's wrap up our time together praying about these things, asking God for his help. Let's stand together and pray. Mm. God, we want to mature in our faith. God, we want to spend the first waking moments or our best moments with you. God, make us a people who are committed to our spiritual disciplines. King Jesus, our rabbi, show us what you love. Show us what you hate. We wanna live the same way and we wanna love the world the way you love the world. God, I pray that you would help us to be generous with our resources, but also walking in faith with our resources. You are our God, not our wallets, Lord. Prune us of the things that prevent us from being that kind of person who gives by faith. And Lord, may our worship time with you alone be sweet as we see your creation, as we read scripture, as we sing songs. God, we we pray that our personal worship time would be great, faith-filling, and God, when we gather together, we look forward to the day where every tribe, tongue, and nation will say, praise the Lamb. Lord, we love you. Holy Spirit, would you complete what you have started? God, we wanna do your will, and we pray these things in the powerful, precious, life-changing name of Jesus Christ.